Good morning, all, and welcome to this Herbert Smith Free Hills podcast. Today's topic is employee activism, and specifically the impact uh, we might see of activism on the union movement in Australia uh, in the future. I'm joined by my partner in Melbourne, Nat Gasper. Afternoon, Natalie. Hi, Anthony. Delighted to be recording another podcast with you. It's a really interesting topic, this one. Yeah, thank you. Um, and my name's Anthony Longland. I'm um, one of our national partners currently based in Perth. So today's podcast leverages from a report which our firm commissioned and which was recently published on employee activism, and it included some really interesting results. So I'll summarise just a couple of them to create some context for our discussion today. The first is that 81% of the companies which we surveyed thought that employee activism would increase into the future. It doesn't sound on its face like a monumental um, conclusion, but one needs to consider that we had 375 um, C-suite executives from companies with more than 1,000 employees in um, across the globe in the yeah. US, Europe, the UK, Australia, Asia, Middle East and Africa. And when you look at the question, there's an option for significantly increase or slightly increase. And in Australia, over 81% chose either significant or slight increase. And almost no one is predicting that activism will decrease, which I thought was, was interesting. The second point, just by way of introduction, is that the survey asked the respondents about the reasons or the triggers that they saw for this rise in activism. And in Australia, in order, they were automation and artificial intelligence, then diversity, uh, and then surveillance, uh, by which we mean obviously employee surveillance at Mm -hmm. work. Um, Pay and benefits comes in at four, and the fifth reason identified was corporate strategy. So what we're going to see in the future, according to our survey respondents, is not simply a significant increase in activism, but the triggers of that come from sources which are probably not those traditionally addressed by our industrial relations system and indeed our trade union movement. Yeah, it's fascinating, Anthony, isn't that right? So so probably the one from that list that is the traditional domain of unions is uh, the pay and benefits, but that's not number one on the list. Indeed, and you could argue, I think, that our system has been built up and sort of the institutions in our system are all around claims by employees for pay and benefits, Um, whereas this list here shows that that's only a a small part of what will be driving a wave of employee activism in the future. Uh, I guess a nice way to start, Nat, might be for um, you to explain to us whether in your practice you've been able to identify any changes in the way unions are uh, conducting themselves and representing their members. Yeah, look, I think a really great example of how the union movement is potentially pivoting to this new world that we're playing in is uh, this example of Hospo Voice. So Hospo Voice is describing itself as Australia's first digital union. It's really cleverly promoting itself predominantly to young people, quite um, frankly, obviously, who uh, work in the hospitality industry. It describes its cost of membership as less than a Netflix subscription 
it charges its members $9.95 or something like that. And once you, you're registered with that union, you've got the ability to access digital platforms and apps. So um, some of the ones that they have available to its members are a pay checker. There's a record my hours function so that you can prove to um, that you've worked in a particular manner in your in in ever the case that there's a dispute about underpayment or the like. And uh, there's also an app called Harassment Diary. Um, so it's really fascinating. It's, uh, it's a union that is backed by the United Workers Union, who the listeners might appreciate is this new super union. It uh, just was registered as an amalgamation between uh, two unions. It's now Australia's largest union. I uh, have a confession, Anthony, that being, right. being the nerd that I am, I had occasion out of curiosity to have a look at the new union's rules um, just to see actually whether HOSPO voice, this sort of subset of the union, uh, was mentioned and actually came across in the union rules and can I just pause there, if anyone's have had the misfortune to look through union rules in the past, you'll you'll appreciate how much of a true nerd I am to have done this off my own bat. But there's a new provision in um, the UWU's rules, which um, is entitled member activism. And of course, that jumped out at me. And I thought, my goodness, how fascinating. And the purpose of that rule is to empower the union um, to promote opportunities that it describes in areas, um, including equity, diversity, um, member activism, as I've already said, in relation to um, campaigns that touch on issues that are not, in fact, the traditional domain of unions. So obviously industrial campaigns, but also um, campaigns for social and political change. So I thought that was so fascinating. It's interesting because the listeners will be aware that the current legislation uh, does require unions to act in accordance with their rules. Indeed, members have got rights to enforce compliance with union rules by their elected union officials. So I agree with you that that is a significant development and not, not the sort of rule that we've seen historically in, in mainstream Australian unionism. Mm. Um, it seems so simple, doesn't it? Pay checker, uh, yeah. record my hours. Obviously, the internet and technology has radically changed workplaces. Um, it's great to see that unions are starting to utilise it in, in such a practical way to go about um, conducting their, their business. Yeah, look, I, I think that's right. It, it's really fascinating. This is all about point in time, um, you know, and quite frankly member-led as well mm. in terms of these initiatives. Um, and th- these are unions that, you know, have to employ organisers and people to get out there and get into unions and I'm interested in your thoughts later on how right of entry laws fits in all this sort of Mm. stuff but I mean it's really cost effective manner of serving their members interests isn't it by providing an app that's immediately accessible on phones which everyone has um, in the the modern world. Yeah look and turning to the um, the types of activism that that rule um, speaks about I thought about historical union activism on those non-pay or working conditions areas and there's not a lot of them in the Australian experience or at least in my experience but I thought back to the the 70s or the late 60s nearly 70s and the green bands in Sydney 
where we saw the construction union deciding to ban projects which, for example, involved the destruction of historically significant buildings in Sydney or other town planning um, measures which the union thought would detract from the amenity uh, of the city of Sydney. So it is interesting that there is something of a pedigree for activism in non um, pay and conditions areas, but I'd have to say in the in the 25 or 30 odd years I've been watching these things, it's quite rare. Um, what have you observed yourself in that yeah, area? Yeah, the, the, the modern version of that, I suppose, is uh, I, I think RAFWU is a really good example of that. So RAFWU, listeners might be aware, stands for the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. Uh, mm. It's not, though. It's an incorporated association. Um, it operates, quite frankly, off the smell of a, a oily rag. It um, has it operates in the space traditionally owned, I suppose, by the SDA, the Shoppies Association. And yep. um, RAFWU really arose predominantly not to necessarily um, be opposed to employers, although, of course, that um, presents a large part of its remit, but... Um, the SDA is a quite conservative union and uh, RAFWU prides itself on being the voice uh, for change in social justice issues uh, relating mm. to things like gay marriage and abortion. And you just have a look at its website and what it stands for and, you know, obviously there's the stuff that you would expect in a traditional union um a domain about campaigning for members' interests and ensuring that people are paid correctly and all those, you know, traditional, perfectly legitimate areas. And um, a large part of its uh, energy and focus is, as I said, fo f fighting for these social justice issues, which um, it feels the SDA's uh, got mm. quite a polarised uh position on. Mm. The thing about that example, I think, which is interesting is that the system doesn't on its face accommodate that kind of competition. The the conveniently belong rule um, has been a long cherished part of um, the statutory regulation of unions and it, it essentially provides that when one wants to wants to register a new union under the system, or that is under the legislation, um, you need the the commission to to do the registering. And the commission's not empowered to register a union if there is another union already in existence to which the proposed members of the new union can conveniently belong. So that clearly explains why, Wafru, why RAFRU is not registered uh, under the legislation. And um, I, I guess it stands as a, as a real warning to the mainstream unions about the fact that competition can be created outside the system. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, RAFWU is quite the disruptor in this space. Mm. So it doesn't have all the uh, rights and the flip side is the obligations that are imposed on unions, mm. formal registered unions, but um, it has still been very effective in uh, bargaining, in bringing disputes, in uh, agitating mm. for change. So, mm. Look, another example I think of and more innovative approach on the union side um, dealing with these future work issues in a sense is the offshore alliance here in in Western Australia. Um, it's unusual because uh, the MUA and the AWU who chose to enter into this alliance 
weren't required to apply to the Commission to vary their eligibility rules, uh, nor to take any other compliance or regulatory step. They simply entered into their own private agreement, which involved um, the AWU employing um, at least two MUA employees. So there's essentially a, a joint employment situation going mm. on where these two, one of whom's are an official under the rules of the MUA, um, is a part-time employee of the AWU. And the purpose of that is to enable those MUA employees to utilise the broader coverage rules or eligibility rules of the AWU to go about organising the offshore sector in WA. There's a range of reasons for that, which I, I don't think it's necessary for us to go into, but it's another good example of uh, an entrepreneurial or perhaps yeah. innovative approach being taken um, to achieve the overall objective, um, which is to to represent workers and to, I guess, speak to their um, aspirations for, for representation. And any listeners that you know, are interested in, in this new approach, get onto Facebook. Um, I think a lot of unions are using Facebook really well now, um, but probably not many better than the Offshore Alliance. Their page, you know, you'll see old school concepts of um, criticising and, and being very um, anti-measures taken by employers, but look at the comments that each of those posts um, um, engender. Um, another example I can think of is, a, is, is not a union page, but a page called 3-in-1. So back when there was a push in the construction sector to move from four-in-one rosters, four weeks on, one week off, to three-in-one rosters, um, a lot of momentum was given to that campaign through the use of a Facebook page. And as we all know, we're Facebook users, that it's very interactive. Um, comments, likes and support, etc., can engender the old-school collective um, um, action of unions, but very much grassroots driven through this mm. this new medium it's a new black isn't it hey anthony so so what do you what do you think then what, what the consequences of um the more traditional union behavior on the modern workplace is it the case that the traditional union movement is is under threat and you know i'm, I'm interested in your thoughts in the rise in australia of class actions employment related mm. class actions which again is is new for us and yeah. for the union movement. There's a couple of points there. I guess as to the first point, you know, I go back to the survey. If the causes or the triggers, as the survey says, of, of employee activism are going to be non-pay and benefits issues, um, then there is an immediate inconsistency with the institutions in which the unions operate. Those institutions really contemplate demands about uh, paying conditions or relations, as the Act says, between employers and employees. So whether the employer is a good social citizen, whether the employer supports social causes, those are not matters which can be um, neatly or easily progressed under the existing arrangements. So what that tells me uh, is that there does need to be a change. If this, If our survey is correct and the drivers or the triggers are going to change, then they won't work under the new institutions. And I think unions are going to have to find new ways to meet those sorts of employee aspirations. Mm. Um, as to class actions, yeah. um, you know, I'm interested in, um, there's a bit of an inconsistency. You look at the, the skiing case, which happened uh, almost, almost two years ago now, 
um, which gave additional rights to casual employees. That was a case that was run by the CFMEU and in particular its, its coal mining division, a very old, proud and successful union. Um, but from where I'm looking at, what we kind of saw after that was these class action funders leap into that space. And so a lot of the benefit that the union achieved through getting that, that federal court decision is being utilised outside the union movement um, through these class actions. I don't know if you see it differently than that. No, look, I, that's, I think that's right. And, you know, another example of that um, is, you know, these GoFundMe pages which are seeking, um, you know, contributions from concerned members of the, fub, of the public to bring litigation. So you've got your traditional litigation funders who are people and businesses out there who invest in class actions expecting a return on their investment in the same way that people would invest in the property market or in shares or, or whatever it is. And then you've got this other version which is, your, as I said, your you concerned citizen and you know a good example of that was Israel Falau's um, failed mm. admittedly attempt to fund his litigation through a GoFundMe page which was mm. ultimately shut down but um, yeah again it's it's just fascinating um, you know how all this will play out and and how unions um, will will respond to that because you know as we've been saying all along this is their traditional domain. It's really it's a source of competition. You know? yeah. These these developments seem to me, you know, if I'm running a union, you see them as competitive threats yeah. um, to what you're trying what you're trying to do. So, how about what about the good old fashioned, you know, union organizer coming onto the site, having a chat to people on their lunch breaks, mm. and, and that being the the, the source of um, membership and prevalence and prominence in a mm. business. What do you thought? Yeah, it's that? Uh, very old school, isn't it? Yeah. When, you, when you start to look at that through the lens of this future of work concept, and it's not just our survey um, that deals with the future of work, it's a broad topic that's been written about by lots of people around the world. Um, uh, I think it just brings to the fore the fact that a union official getting in a car and driving to a work site and being asserting legal rights, giving notices 24 hours, um, waiting in the lunchroom for employees that want to come and talk to that union organiser during their, their breaks, you know, that used to be the lifeblood. That was how the union kept in touch with its members because there was a view that the members ought not be troubled outside their, their workday. Um, and so this institution built up around it. There was statutory rights to, for unions to do that. There was dispute resolution mechanisms uh, in the commission. Um, but you fast forward to today and you look at some of the things we've been talking about, employees, you know, they've got the internet in their hand 24-7. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the union official can talk to a 1,000 employees without leaving their desk uh, in a matter of, you know, 30 seconds. Um, it really does make you stop and wonder, yeah. um, is there any future for, for these right of entry provisions? Um, particularly if the, if the employees have got apps and all sorts of assistance to help them keep records, well, there's probably a limited need to even use the powers to require employers to provide records, etc., or to produce records. Yeah. You, you describing that union official jumping in a car was kind of reminded me of getting a, a good old-fashioned hard paper catalogue in the 
post <laughs> and then turning up to the retail store and exchanging cash for goods and <laughs> bringing yeah, it them just home. Happen and it that just way. doesn't That's happen right. that way. That's yeah. right. In in this world, it's all available immediately online. It's digital. Um, yeah, really fascinating. So, look, I, I think it's fair to say that the, the union movement, um, you know, if, even if you look at the last election, Anthony, there was a huge investment in a political campaign and, um, you know, restoring uh, the ALP to government. That didn't pay off. Um, mm. There was quite a significant suite of reforms that were being pushed by the ACTU, many of which had been picked up uh, by the Labor government as its policy platform leading into that election. So, so that hasn't worked. So they're kind of, um, you mm. know, doing a bit of navel gazing, I suspect, at the moment. Um, yeah, and I think um, that campaign was about wages, front and centre. It was about insecure work, so casuals and the like. Um, and without wanting to say it failed, I think what you can say is it just didn't grip the attention of the nation. Mm. Um, and I think the fact that we're not seeing Sally McManus and the ACTU and the press as frequently as we were before the election, probably does indicate that, that they're, they're thinking carefully about where they pivot to from here. And I suppose, you know, as we conclude the podcast, you know, that's my thinking. I think that the if you call them green shoots we've talked about, POSPO, mm. Voice, RAFWA, the Offshore Alliance, um, I think we will see a pivot away from the institutional side of the um, power, as it were, achieving government um, using the commission through to you know, back to a very much more grassroots uh, approach where the unions will leverage this desire for activism and they will reach beyond pain conditions. Um, they'll become experts in um, surveillance, for example, yeah. and they'll advise employees on, on where the line should be drawn in a privacy sense. Yeah. Yeah, look, no, I agree. Look, it's... And, and, I think we've seen already that unions and employees don't need to take good old-fashioned protected industrial action or, mm. or bargain for these changes in enterprise agreements. Um, there is the ability to influence employers and corporate behaviour, corporate social behaviour very effectively through other means. And, you know, we've already spoken about social media, there's, you know, consumer boycotts, there's all, mm. all these sorts of things. So, um, you know, I, I think that is the way of the future. It's a brave new world. Um, thanks for your time, Nat. Interesting discussion. Always good, Anthony. And uh, this podcast will be published on our hub uh, web hub at Herbert Smith Freckles and I suspect that you will see a growing number of uh, other materials uh, and opinions on that hub uh, as we move through 2020. So uh, thanks for your attention and, and take care. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.